and welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Fulkman. When I pose the question, what are you looking at, Tick Nose? You immediately know it's from Teen Wolf, uttered by the one and only Styles. Jerry Levine is our guest today, who played Styles. You've seen Jerry in a number of things. He was Cousin Elliot on Charles in Charge. He was an Iron Eagle, born on the 4th of July. He had memorable roles on Seinfeld, Will and Grace. Now Jerry went from in front of the camera to behind the camera and is a very successful TV director. I asked Jerry about the transition from in front to behind the camera, what he thought of Teen Wolf 2 and why he turned down the role of Styles in the sequel, and his thoughts on the remake from NTV. It's pretty interesting what he thinks about that. Speaking of remakes, we had Michael Paré on a couple weeks ago. I asked him a question why there hasn't been a remake of his first show, The Greatest American Hero. And sure enough, they announced this week that they're going to be rebooting Greatest American Hero with a little bit of a twist. They're going to have a female lead. Another bright idea by Hollywood. And helping me relive my youth today is Jerry Levine. Jerry, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, before we get to your acting and Teen Wolf and everything, I'm very interested about uh, directing. Especially how actors, you know, become directors. So how did you get involved in directing? Well, in my case, it was always something that I did from the beginning. I've been doing it uh, since I'm a kid. And um, it was something that always interested me. So wherever I went as an actor, I also went as a director. Even when I was in, in school and things like that, I would, I would work on projects that I would self-generate. Uh, you know, musicals or plays or whatever it may be. So I would I would act, and at the same time, uh, in order to do plays and things that I wanted to do, I would put together a group and maybe raise some money and, and um, produce and direct them myself. So it's always been something that's gone hand-in-hand hand with me. It felt like a very natural progression. Um, I've always felt that, you know, good advice to somebody would be to... Uh, Diversify within your field. Uh, you know, learn how to produce, direct, write, um, act. Um, you know, be a musician. Do everything that you possibly can because one thing informs the other, and you never know when you're going to need to uh, use that particular skill. For me, um, directing became uh, more prominent in my life just as a result of doing more of it. I would, I would, I started to. Funny thing is, I, I, I um, one day I recognized that my Directors Guild of America dues was higher than my Screen Actors Guild dues, which was an indication that I was working more in that union than I was in the other union. And uh, so when the, I decided to, you know, when I hit the, crop, the fork in the road, I took it. Right. Now, have you directed anything that you've starred in or been involved acting? No. You know, it's, it's funny. I'm asked. I'm, I'm off often asked to be in, in things that I'm directing. For some reason, um, <laughs> I, I don't multitask very well, so I my split focus in terms of being able to direct uh, and act at the same time, I'm so focused on directing that um, it, it makes it difficult for me to, to concentrate on acting at the same time. On the stage, I have done it. Yes, on the stage, I have uh, directed myself. Um, but on film... No, because there's, there's too much going on as a film director. 
Right. Now, you mentioned before about how acting, producing, directing, kind of raising funds. Now, that's, that's pretty big now with, like, Kickstarters and uh, GoFundMes. Have you been involved in any of those yet, or is this basically just studio money? <laughs> no, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I have not done that because I haven't had necessarily the need to do that. Um, it's, it's a really good way of, of self-generating projects for, for yourself, and there, you know, I've watched the evolution of that where, you know, <clears throat> you're able to do it through Kickstart, and you're able to do it uh, through various different um different methods, mechanisms that release money to you. But um, I, you know, fortunately have not had to go down that path. I've been, I've been financed by other companies for forever, so I continue to be. So you've directed both dramas and comedies. Do you prefer a particular one, or are you both equally important to you? Well, as far as importance goes, um, I, I wouldn't be able to... Uh, uh, judge them based on importance I can I can definitely identify the differences and the differences in comedy you know you know all day long you're you're, you're laughing you want everything to be funny and keep it light in in the dramatic world um, you know everything is is, 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 is a, can be a lot more intense even though the, a set is a set and we're acting and we're performing we know that um, there's a certain sensitivity a certain culture that you have to create for whatever you're doing to grow from and in comedy I like to keep it light and funny and humorous and, and joyful and all of that it's uh, that kind of environment and the drama set sometimes you know we're, we're a little we're a little bit more serious and a little bit more contained with what we're doing but I will say that comedy is a lot more difficult to do uh, than drama and, and comedy you get you know certain you get the words on the page but then what you have to do from that point on is create what you're going to do you get okay you know here's the scene now what are we going to do you know the words are funny but then there are times when you have to do physical things and, and, and create things so it's more of a living breathing um, object uh, uh, comedy harder to do and drama is a little bit more, more straightforward there's less to have to um, create uh, in the moment, so to speak, outside of you know true honest performances, there's there's less bits that you have to come up with. Right now, you've directed a few episodes of uh, Sunny. Now, those those guys created the show and they wrote the show. Now, how how difficult is directing people who've like actually created the project you're working on? Well, there's a true you know a, a very big difference uh, between doing that and working with. Um, group of hired actors. These guys wrote, starred in, produced, knew how to direct, knew, knew exactly what to do um, with their project. And I think that's one of the things that's so great about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is that when they, they, uh, uh, when they initially put the project together, there were people trying and wanting to help guide them. And they felt that uh, it seems that they knew where they were going and what they were doing. So that was very much the experience that I had working with them as a director. They knew very well what they were doing, where they were going, and so it felt um, more of like a technical director than it did, you know, a director, because they had already created the whole thing, and they were terrific. And it was it was hilarious, and I laughed all day long, and you know, it was like uh, uh, it was like. Uh, playing a pickup game of basketball, you know, when Danny DeVito would show up on the set, you just turn the camera on because he's, 
he's on from the minute he gets there and uh, extraordinarily talented. Right, now let's uh, focus a little bit on your acting. Uh, when did you decide that you wanted to become an actor? I can't remember a time that um, I, 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 um, I don't ever remember a time when um, it's something, it, it wasn't something that I wanted to do from a very, very young age. So uh, from the time I've been, you know, I can recollect, you know, from those old family movies that your mom might show you, you're performing. Um, that's something that I always did. Never had, a, you know, had other jobs to, you know, help pay the way. But uh, there was never anything else that was happening. Right. I remember, like, this might be your first television role. I remember on Charles in Charge, you played yeah. uh, Cousin Elliot. <laughs> yeah, Cousin Elliot was a, was a fun job. Um, uh, my first television job was on a television series in Boston called The Baxters, which okay. was on uh, WGBH, I think it was, and I was still in college, studying acting in college, and I got on television that way. Uh, but the real television break was... Um, Charles in charge. I had auditioned for the part that Willie Ames ended up getting. <laughs> Buddy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he got the role. And, and after that, uh, um, they had asked me to come back. I was living in New York at the time. They had asked me to come back and play the recurring character of uh, Cousin Elliot, which, which uh, it was, a, was a big break for me. Right. And, yeah. and that led you to audition for Teen Wolf, correct? Yeah, while I was here in California, just staying on for what was Charles and George, I, I, my agent sent me to audition for a movie called Teen Wolf, and um, and I got it, uh, and it was it was very surprising, and that began to you know pave the way for what my what has become me living in Los Angeles, and uh, Teen Wolf was certainly uh, uh, quite a project. <laughs> It's still very um, uh, alive today, and, and, and uh, it surprises me every day. Every day, every day, there's, there's, there's a mention of Teen Wolf or character that I played in the movie, so it's kind of astonishing. Yeah, it's, it seems like it was on the other night on the cable. I watch it for a little bit. It's, it's always it's always on, probably every day. Uh, yeah. Were you surprised? I, I know you meant, but how successful it, it was, like financially, because it was like a shoestring budget. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm. <clears throat> I, I, we didn't know what we were doing. Nobody did. Uh, who was in the film? We just did um, the Blu-ray uh, special edition, and uh, I was able to get together with some of the folks that were in the original film, and uh, all of us were, you know, as as oftentimes is what you find out when. You ask people, and I'm asked often, did you have any idea what was going on at the time and what was going to happen? Um, no, I had no idea. I, first movie, I didn't know what was going on. And um, I'm astonished to this day, you know, how it's, it's, it's lived through the generations of, I think when you turn, the minute you turn 10 years old, they force you to watch Teen Wolf. <laughs> And there's something very, very special about this film. Um, I, I think it's just something everyone can relate to. You can, uh, you know, as, as time passes, you know, you find um, there are certain professors at college that are breaking down the mythology behind Teen Wolf and, and, and what the themes are and, and why it, it still is, is so uh, interesting for people to watch today because of the themes that are running through the movie, you know. Never thought I'd be breaking down Teen Wolf from an academic point of view, but... Uh, right. 
there's a reason why it's still as popular and and wonderful as it as it is today. There's a reason for it. Right. I, I know basketball coaches definitely won't break down the basketball scene, though. <laughs> no, you know the basketball scenes were really kind of interesting. Michael is a great hockey player, right? Um, but he he could use a little help on the basketball court. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, um, movie did successfully. Um, of course, they make a sequel. Did they approach you yeah. to reprise uh, your role styles? Sure, sure they did, sure they did. Um, there were two things that were going through my mind at the time. Um, the first one was that I had another offer to do another movie at the same time. Um, the second was, you know, some sort of an aversion to doing a sequel, um, unless Michael right. uh, was in the movie. Um there was a kind of uh, feeling that it was successful and and that, you know, it had served its purpose uh, for me uh, at the time. And, you know, we weren't sure if we wanted to go back and, and mess around with something that, you know, seemed to work. The, the interesting thing about um, um, the, the sequel um, is that you know, discussing Teen Wolf mythology academically, the difference was that in in the, in the first movie it was a team sport. Right. You break. It, you look at look at it from that point of view. The second one, I believe, he was a boxer. Um, I've never actually seen the whole thing from beginning to end. Yeah, but, me neither. <laughs> but he was a boxer, and that that that's a singular sport. Right. And I think that one of the things that. Uh, uh, you need to understand about why Teen Wolf is a, a, a fun movie to watch is because it's about a team. It's about a group of people. The, the, the interesting thing was I was going to direct uh, a sequel of the movie itself um, for MGM with Jeff Loeb, who was the original writer and creator okay. of Teen Wolf. And Jeff and I uh, were, were working with MGM. It never came together because they were in negotiations to do the... Uh, the television series okay. and the movie side I guess didn't know what the TV side was doing and MGM I think were, were making some fi- restructuring financially a little bit but um, I think if you remade Teen Wolf you know in, in, in today one of, one, one of the things that we talked about were how wholesome it was how different it was how you know they wanted a hip hip hop kind of wolf and it was ex- it's extremely successful as a television series, but it's not. It's the title that they're that they're that they're using. It's not necessarily uh, the same themes that were. You know, it's about having a superpower and being able to control it. That right. kind of thing. I was going. My point is, I was going to direct it, and and the discussion was, how are you going to do it? Are you going to contemporize it? Are you going to keep it? you know, more toward the original, and I was going to stay more toward the original and go old school with it. Right, okay. Now, have you been asked to direct any of the uh, MTV episodes now? No, when when the discussion originally came up, that was a possibility. There was also a conversation about me acting in it, and again, it came down to, uh, you know, uh, a similar kind of... Nostalgic, or, or, or I'm not sure what the proper word would be, but leave well enough alone is what, you know, kind of did my kid said to me, Dad, why don't you leave that picture alone and uh, let, it, let, it, let it live on as it is. Don't mess, don't mess around with it. It worked pretty well. 
yeah, it seems that like everything now is either rebooted or you know, revitalized now or remade, and uh, usually it's not as good as the original. Well, right, you know, there's some some in some cases it works really, really, really well, you know, um, but um, in, in other cases I, I have you know sort of a, a special kind of relationship to what the original movie was, and I think that if I touched it again, I would alter what that is, and, and I'm, I'm proud and happy to leave it, you know, leave it alone, let, let it be, let it be is what I've figured. Right, now when you were surfing on the van, was that you, or was that a stunt double? No, that was me. Right. Um, it was an interesting night uh, here, it was, uh, I remember the director, Rod Daniel, uh, coming to me and saying, hey, listen, kid. You know, I'm going to put you up on that van, and and um, you know it'll be you for the whole world to see, and and there'll be no stunt double. And uh, it's funny when when the wolf was on top of the van, I was driving the van, but the wolf was a stunt double. And when it came time for me to get on top of the van, Mike said he wanted to drive the van. I said, Mike, you know, I need a stunt driver driving this. You know, but but he he decided to drive it anyway. So they wrapped a wire around my waist. They put it down through my pants, down through the top of the van, and anchored it to the bottom of the uh, interior floor of the van, so that if I were to fall, I would could fall off the side, but I would never actually hit the ground. And I remember being young and naive that night, seeing uh, you know a helicopter and. Um, an ambulance and all kinds of things off to the side, and I said, "What is that for?" And they said, "Oh, don't worry about that. That's that's nothing. They they usually <laughs> anyway." And so we spent an entire night driving up and down Sherman Way in the valley uh, uh, um, here in, uh, in 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 California, and uh, that was me the whole time. All those stunts, all those things. Type. Were you nervous? At, were you nervous at first? at that point playing that character it was uh, funny I, there was a <clears throat> there was a, um, um, a football player who changed his name to Styles yeah I, I think on, on Tampa Bay I think <laughs> yeah, yeah. when ESPN called me and asked me you know to do uh, uh, an interview I said you know what do you want to talk about they said we want to ask you what you think about this guy changing his name to the character he played in the movie and, and, and I thought I needed to you know for ESPN come up with a sports analogy as to where my head was at when I was making that film and you know so I said uh, you know oftentimes they, they ask a ball player you know you know you brought what, what, what were you thinking there were there were you know three seconds left on the clock and you you know you won the game and the ball player said I, I wasn't thinking right I brought the ball down court I threw it at the hole and it went in yeah. and so when I was making Teen Wolf I wasn't thinking I was just it's doing some kind of Altered state, going after this thing. So, no, 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 no. <laughs> it'd be funny. A funny Styles thing probably would say no fear, no right. fear. Yeah, at, at least he didn't change his name to Dick Nose, right? <laughs> no, that, that that would have been a little ridiculous. But that's that's popular because um, when um on the Sunny and Philly show, um, they as an homage to Styles, one day Rob McElherney uh. And he uh, uh, cut off the sleeves of his T-shirt and wore what are you looking yeah, at? Yeah, Dick Nose. Yeah, I remember that episode. Yeah. 
I thought that was pretty funny. So yeah, do you ever get called that, like in the street or like Styles or? Oh, Styles all the time. Yeah. You know, and people loved that character. There was something about that character that they loved, and I'm I'm astonished that they that they remember the name of the character. You know, there are many times I'm stopped with, hey, hey, aren't, are you an actor or are you, do I know you, do I know you? And, you know, I have a large body of work that people, you know, can recognize my face from, but not necessarily put together a name with a face. Um, but they will put together styles, yes. Right. Styles is something that uh, I'll hear often. Yeah. Now, after that, you uh, were in Born on Fourth of July. Now, yeah. how was working with Oliver Stone? Well, that was, that was a, certainly a highlight point in my career. Oliver at the time was as hot as he could be. And is, again, an extraordinarily talented human being on, on every level and very intense. Um, for me, that was an A-plus operation from top to bottom. You know, uh, working with Tom Cruise was a dream. Working with Oliver Stone was a dream. Uh, working on an Academy Award-nominated picture was, uh, was, was, was a dream. It was A-plus, everything right down the line. Um, the character was very interesting. He was a, a combination of, of, of various different people. Ronnie Kovic was there. It was interesting to, to meet him. And it was, it's a very rough and a very difficult film but, uh, about a very difficult time in our, in our country. Um, so we took it very seriously, and it was, um, for me, uh, probably one of the highlights of my working career. Now, did you, uh, like, pick Oliver's brain, anything about directing, about, like, you know, tips or anything like that? You don't do that with Oliver Stone. <laughs> Oliver is, is, is almost like a savant. He's, he's, so extra, he's so focused on what he's doing. Um, you know, he's not a chit-chatty type of guy. Right, okay. Um, He's, he's, he's as intense as, as, as you would expect him to be. I mean, when you're that brilliant, um, you know, your brain is probably occupied with other things than, you know, fooling around like that. But I found him absolutely great. I mean, there's stories where he's been very rough on actors, but I think the character that I played was so um, confident that you know the way that he directed me was to con was on screen and off screen was to continue to raise my level of confidence no matter what I did. Right now, uh, a few years later, you guest starred uh, one of my favorite shows, Seinfeld, as the stationer. Yes. Yeah, in the Big Salad episode. Uh, how was that experience? Yes. Again, another one of those you know A plus experiences. Lightning in a bottle, first class down, all the way down the line. When you know you're in the environment of. Of, of, of um, well, uh, we'll call it television greatness. You know, you know. I knew I was involved with cinematic greatness with Oliver Stone, and I knew I was in the presence of, of, uh, of, of television greatness. You, you don't know that it's going to go on to be as iconic as it as it is. You know, years later, um, but you do know that you're in the presence of something that's what we call lightning in a bottle. Everything is working, and, and you can feel it. everybody thinks he is in terms of being a comedian and again it's it's that thing in, in in the sitcom world or the comedy world where you're creating the comedy as you go along you know I mean when, on what line you sip a, a glass of champagne a, a look a thing you know something like that can get a laugh 
you know, the lines are funny, but it's what happens in between the lines that you have to create. And Larry uh, was very helpful to me with that. Right, and it's good to see that Curb Enthusiasm is coming back in the fall. Oh, we love Curb. We love that. Yeah, it's a great show. Before I let you go, I have to ask you, uh, it's kind of an urban, I guess, myth now um, with Teen Wolf, with the whole basketball scene with the guy, I guess, having his fly down, maybe something else is popping out. Did you, uh, I know you recently recorded the Blu-ray tracks. What do you, (laughs) talked about that? About about which, about what? About the uh, the basketball scene at the end when the guy the fan is in the in the crowd he has his fly Uh-oh. down maybe there's something that's sticking out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anything was sticking out. I don't know if that was ever someone did that on purpose. I've seen a still frame of that. I've heard about it, and I and I, and I have seen it. it. It's it's part of the folklore now of Teen Wolf. Um, it's it's part of what. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's part of what's special about the movie um, we didn't know that there was somebody doing that and we were a very young crowd in that um, right. in dance that day we were a very young enthusiastic uh, overzealous uh, group of people and um, we didn't know it was happening yeah <laughs> So what's your uh, current project that you're directing right now? Well, I just came back from Canada. I, I'm um, Jason Alexander is starring in a half-hour single-camera musical comedy that I oh. directed both pilot and all ten episodes straight through um, called Hit the Road. Um, it's for DirecTV. Uh, it'll be on the audience channel. Uh, AT&T is producing it with Primary Wave. And um, I was in Canada since April. I got back about two days ago. Um, and as I mentioned, I did direct the pilot. And I directed all ten episodes. So it was 350 pages of material. Yeah. Uh, a 40-day shoot. Uh, so it was like climbing Mount Everest. Um, you know, one of those very unique uh, contemporary ways of working. A new formula. You know, a lot of a lot, a lot of people are starting to think about doing the work that way. Right. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that on uh, Netflix and all the you know all those Amazon shows. It's a lot of. And right. I heard Julia Roberts just signed on to an Amazon uh, show as well. So it seems like yeah. a lot of big names are going that route as well. It's pretty amazing what's happened. You know, I've spent you know a, a large part of my career in broadcast television and movies. Um, uh, but what 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 is interesting now is, as you mentioned, there are a lot of big star names that are going to, you know, to work on these smaller, independent projects because you get to do what you want. You know, ours is very irreverent. It's it's the Partridge family meets the family of Shameless. Oh, nice. They, they, they put on this very America, this very America's favorite finest family band impression, but the minute they get off the stage. Um, they become the family of shameless, you right. know, reverent, nasty, and dirty, and you know all of those fun things that we like to watch that you can't watch on on network television. So that's attracting the talent love, levels of Jason Alexander, Julia Roberts, or whoever it may be, and that's the new, a newer contemporary uh, way of uh, distributing material that might not necessarily get past. Uh, uh, the sensors, things like that. Right now, do you think like networks are actually getting nervous about that? About how all these stars and like all these creative people are going that route? You know, uh, uh, I I 
I, I know that things are changing, and I know the economics are changing, and I know that networks are making their money um, off of broadcasting. I also know that, that, that these networks are getting go go gobbled up by larger conglomerations, and that ultimately, at the end of the day, it seems that the stock price of the parent company is really all that matters. In certain cases, um, you know, like with Disney or, or, or that kind of thing, they've got many, many... They've had to come up with different ways. There's no more DVDs. There's no more, you know, you can't sell it in, into the markets that you wanted to sell it into. Um, so uh, uh, they have various different widgets that they make, so to speak, in order to drop their price up. Disney has different companies. Uh, CBS has different companies. NBC is owned by Comcast. You know, so they have many different ways. But... Um, you know, I, I don't think the networks, to answer your question, are afraid. They're still the biggest, baddest, you know, game down. And my attitude is I'll know everything is crumbled when I watch the Super Bowl on the Internet or yeah. the Final Four or, you know, something like that. When it's when it's major, you know, right. uh, Super Bowl time, uh, you know, you're not going to – I don't know how Netflix is going to acquire that, right. although um, – They've done an amazing job, and it started basically with, in my opinion, with House of Cards, when Kevin Spacey right. got involved with uh, Netflix. Everybody went, holy shit, what, what's going on here, you know? And now they're big, big stars, even like Jason Alexander, you know, doing that uh, smaller project at the road. Uh, you know, we were working on a very small budget with very little time. And, you know, having to shoot 10 episodes in a row, 350 pages, is, is for financial reasons. Right. And we definitely look forward to seeing that. Jerry, thanks for a few yeah. minutes today. I really appreciate it, and good luck You're with welcome. the show. Thank you very much.